like you can hear me. Is it too loud? Is it too loud? I think it's too loud. I really think it's too loud. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, as you all can see, I'm not Katie. I'm shorter than Katie. Um, bless her. <laughs> She's so sweet, so pretty. Um, she is um, in New England with her family. And uh, she texted me this morning, so sweet, saying she was praying. And I told her to have fun and said, I don't know how you do this every week. That's what I told her. So um, bless her heart. Okay, so um, I'm humbled that I was even asked uh, to bring any kind of teaching to you guys. I love to. I love, the God, I love God's word, and I do love to teach. But I have never been asked to teach the whole book of anything <laughs> in 40 minutes, especially the book of John. Um, but I will attempt that with the good help of Mark Dever. Um, the outline, I hope you have one if you don't. Um, Autumn will give you one. If you don't, just raise your hand. Um, but you should have an outline, and this outline comes from Mark Dever. He's a pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., and he has done just a beautiful job of an overview. He uh, preached this sermon in like an hour, but I'm going to attempt to do it in 40 minutes. I've timed myself three times. So uh, we're going to see. Um, so uh, that way you all can go get your $5 sushi at Kroger. Did you know that? They have sushi on Wednesdays for $5. Okay. So uh, when I, I used to homeschool my kids, um, one of the things we did, what I taught them, uh, before, we, um, before we would dive into a book uh, in literature, we would study the author. And we would study a little bit about his, ba- a little bit of his or her background and also the uh, audience. And it kind of enriched the story uh, for us. And so John, who is he? He's the son of Zebedee. He was one of um, Jesus' 12 disciples. He was the one closest to him, as you know. And he wrote the book between 70 AD, when uh, the destruction of the temple, and when he died around 100 AD. So that's when it was written. Matthew, um, we got Matthew. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels. And then we have John. Uh, Matthew focused on Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. We talked about that the last three weeks. Mark focuses on Jesus as the one who ushers in the kingdom of God. And Luke emphasizes Jesus as the one who welcomes the outsider. John emphasizes Jesus um, as the one, or, okay, Luke emphasizes Jesus as the one who welcomes the outsider, and John emphasizes Jesus as the eternal Son of God, and that's where we're going to pick that up today. Through his signs and teachings, through the death and resurrection, through his mission that he entrusts in his disciples, uh, Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament hopes and promises. He inaugurates the long-awaited new age. If we go to John 1.1, if you can turn there, and uh, we will read that. You're familiar with that. We read that in our, in our homework. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You have to understand his um, audience that he was writing to were Jewish and Greeks at the time, so he wanted to touch this both for them. Um, the, 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 the Jewish people, the Hebrews, would have thought back to Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, was the, uh, or in the beginning, God created the world by his word. He spoke, and it, became, and it came into an existence. And then to the Greeks, they used the word logos, or logos, however you wanted to say that. Um, and it was an impersonable, it was impersonal um, principle. Basically, it was the reason that gave order to everything. That's what logos was for them. It was just real impersonal, um, and he wanted this, he wanted to, he comes out on the scene, the very, very first words he says, in the beginning was the word, and we know that to be Christ, because he will argue that as he goes on. So, um, so that's just a beautiful picture 
Um, we, we talked about that uh, in, um, in small group today, that we have God's word, you know, with us. It is living and active. God's word, God spoke. He used words to speak. Uh, things came into existence. Jesus is the word, and we are to trust in him. Compared to the other gospels, John places less emphasis on Jesus' public ministry, more emphasis on his private ministry uh, to specific individuals. John is divided into two halves. The first half is uh, Jesus' teaching ministry and leads up to the final week in Jerusalem, 1, 19 through 12. The second half is Jesus' final week in Jerusalem, uh, includes his death and resurrection, and that's between 12 verses, or chapters 12 and 20. Uh, so John does not record as many healing miracles, um, and he, not as many he healing miracles as the first three Gospels did, and he does not record any teaching parables. Did you recognize that when you went through John? No teaching uh, parables and no exorcisms. Why did John write the book? And this is at the top of your, um, your outline. Okay, it says, Jesus did, these are, this is the anchor verses. Uh, actually, 31 is the anchor verse, but we're going to go through both of them. Jesus did many other miracle, miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we're going to talk about three things um, that are related to this verse, especially verse 31. I would love for you, if you can, under what we should believe. We're going to talk about what we should believe, why we should believe, and the results of believing. But on there, if you can circle the word believe, you can do it at the very top paragraph, and you can do it right underneath uh, what we should believe, okay? Because that's what we're going to talk about. All right. Um, but these are written that you may believe, and here's the what that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name, 2031. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, um, the anointed one, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament promise of the coming Messiah. All throughout, isn't that what we did all last year? We were following that redemptive thread. We were following who is going to be um, the, the serpent crusher, that's, that sin crusher, and here he is on the scene. And here he is. Now, they knew him um, as, as the son of Joseph and Mary. He was just a man, and now he's claiming to be God. This is quite shocking to them. But in the Old Testament, in Psalm 2-7, he says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So the word begotten, he does not have an end. He was not um, born. He is God, and he, and he is um, God's begotten son part of the Trinity. John's gospel centers on the message of who the Messiah is and what he came to do. Um, the Jew, So he, remember I said they had, uh, the audience was the Jews and the Greeks. The Jews were um, tenaciously monotheistic. They, they, they recited the Shema twice a day, prayers in the morning, prayers at night. Hero Israel, hero Israel here our God is one. <coughs> hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They recited that that, were their prayer, that was their prayer twice a day. So they knew that, that God is one. So that's why they got so angry uh, with him, because here this guy was claiming to be God himself. And then the Greeks were very polytheistic. You know they have a lot of gods. So for Jesus to claim he was equal to God and king, here we go at Caesar. This is where the, the Romans got mad, um, because he claimed to be king as well. It was alarming. This is why they hated him, tried to kill him, and eventually they succeeded. So who is the Messiah? Who the Messiah is? In order for us to understand who the Messiah is, we have to look at the strength of the opposition, okay? Um, even to this day in our culture, in, in, uh, in America, we have a lot of religions. All religions go, right? 
everybody's religion is equal. No one is to be offended by anyone except for when you start to bring in Jesus. When you say that Jesus is the only way, that's when people start to get angry because there should not be one way. There should be lots of ways, and that's where this anger um, came in even for them. So, um, but that's where they draw the line. So, we'll talk about the opposition. I'm going to just go ahead and read it. He says it better than I do, so I'm just going to read what he says. Um, Mark Dever says this, uh, John describes many people as being defensive and skeptical from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. They took offense at him, chapter 2 and 6. They grumbled at his provision of bread, chapter 6, like the Israelites who grumbled about the Lord's provision of manna in the wilderness. A number of Jesus' disciples abandoned him, chapter 6. His own brothers did not believe in him, 7. Some people called him a liar, chapter 7. Others said he was a foreigner, fraudulently posing as Jewish, chapter 8. Or that he was demon-possessed, chapter 7, 8, and 10. Or that he was raving mad, 10. They repeatedly attempted to seize and arrest him in chapter 7 and 8, even to stone him in 8, 11, 12, and 16. That was a lot of times to try to stone him. They even, uh, even sought to kill Lazarus after Jesus raised him from the dead in chapter 12. Finally, of course, Jesus was betrayed, arrested, bound, deserted, denied, interrogated, struck, flogged, mocked, crowned with thorns, made the center of what amounted to a lynching. He was crucified causing him to suffocate to death, mildly previewing the response many had to Jesus. John introduces his book by writing, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Chapter 1, verse 11. Think about that word receive, just kind of put that somewhere, file that back in your brain. In your brain. <laughs> um, people recognized his unique status. Even John the Baptist said, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Nathaniel, in chapter 1, verse 49, said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus in chapter 3, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. His Sonship is unique. In 525 through 26, so I'm going to pause here for a second. This is scripture heavy because John is such a beautiful book. My words, Mark's words, does not matter. Um, I want you to see what John's argument is here. So he says, uh, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Isn't that a remarkable mystery? Equality between the Father and the Son. Um, Jesus Jesus had no beginning. God had no beginning. The Father did not even um, breathe life into him as the eternal God, as the eternal Son. He did um, as the as the physical Son, as the Son, the the Word when he became flesh. He did, um, but he grants the Son life. But the Son's life is still self sufficient. Okay, I mean let that sink in. It's still self sufficient. Um, this trinity is hard for us to understand, but it is a beautiful one. There's a special, special reciprocal arrangement of equality between father and son. When Jesus had spoken these words in 17, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And then Pilate, you remember Pilate? He was a pretty nervous guy. Um, he couldn't find anything wrong. The, you know, the Jews kept breathing down his neck um, saying, hey, you know, we need, you need to, we need to arrest him. He couldn't find anything wrong. 
And the Jews finally said to him, uh, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he, was, he has made himself the son of God. This is why John places the son of God apositionally to Christ. So if you'll see um, where he talks about that, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. Sonship does not mean secondary or created by the father, okay? He used it as an, in an opposite way to associate himself with God in his very nature, as if he was saying, I am made of the same essence um, of God. And we see that in the I am statements, don't we? So uh, we talked about the seven I am statements. If you were able to get through that, it was so hard because, boy, I wanted to land on a few of them. Um, but I am the bread. We'll just go through them quickly. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep or the gate of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. What would that have prompted the Hebrews to remember? What do you think? In, in uh, Exodus 3.14, where the Moses was at the burning bush, he said, I am. And um, so that would have prompted them, and so that's where their ears are starting to perk up, and they're like, wait a minute. We were wanting this Davidic king. We want this warrior king. And this is not who, you are not who we thought was going to um, save us from Roman rule. Uh, John 5.58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, and I just love this verse, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. There's the opposition. They tried to kill him. Um, and uh, he was claiming to be God, the same God that was in the Old Testament. Um, and that is, they, they, they understood then that there was a creator and created beings. And uh, they knew this guy as, they knew Jesus as a created being because he was born of Mary and Joseph, right? So for him to claim that he is God was blasphemy in their eyes. Um, okay, so if you will turn to chapter 5, verse 17. Um, we can, you can read with me or just listen to me. <laughs> um, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until, until now and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Um, before I lose, okay, yeah. Oh, did I lose my pedal? I did, I did. Here we go. Okay, in 1030, if you'll turn to 1030 with me. Um, 1030 says, um, find it here. Okay, I am, I say, I and the Father are one. And he says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered, it's not for good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a mere man, make yourself God. And then in 14, 6 through 7, he says, um, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also from now on. You do know him and have seen him basically because of him. So we have to understand there was major opposition. This was, this was a wild and crazy, even though they were waiting for the Messiah. It just not, was not the Messiah that they were wanting. And how many of that is that way for us when we expect something to happen or we want something to happen and it doesn't go the way we think it should, especially for this. Uh, so what did Jesus come to do? The other center of his message is to what Jesus came to do. Uh, Jesus took, turn, took his turn as an adult male by reading the scroll. Um, in the um, in the temple, and he was there. One of, part of what he was there to do is to expose 
their misunderstanding and disobedience. They taught about the Sabbath, right? That they were to rest um, on the Sabbath. This seems really loud to me. Is it my hair? Okay, well, I'll just check it back. There we go. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I've never worn this. Um, but anyway, so, uh, so anyway, he took the, he was reading the very scrolls that they said um, that, that where they got their, their rules from or their laws from um, about the Sabbath. But beyond that, he exposed their misunderstanding by acting contrary to what was uh, hit to what his religious peers required of the Sabbath. And he broke the Sabbath. And what did he do? He healed. He healed on the Sabbath. Um, he healed a blind man. He um, uh, made a lame man walk. And that was the very reason that they killed him. Okay. The other reason that they uh, that he came was uh, to provide a sacrifice of, for salvation of sinners. Thank the Lord for that. 1247 says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it by acting as God's provision for their sins. Jesus told Nicodemus, do you remember in the Old Testament in Numbers 21, where they grumbled? We grumble. Um, but they grumbled, and uh, the serpents came and bit them. And um, Moses interceded. God said, raise up the, um, the bronze snake. Those who look at it will be, you know, saved. And so he said, that's how I am. So I love all the Old Testament parables. There's a really cool um, chart that you can find if you Google it. But there's a really cool chart that just talks all about the Old Testament passages in John and all the new and how they, um, and how they would have remembered all of the things. But we're not going to go through all those today. Um, okay, and then, of course, when John the Baptist said, um, behold, the Lamb of God, their sacrifice, one and only. Um, and then he is our second Adam. The first, uh, the first Adam, his sin... Um, imputed sin in us all. Uh, Jesus is the second Adam reversing the curse. He is, uh, he did that with his death and resurrection. The second thing he came to do was to bring light into the world. Through his life, light, uh, through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus came to shed light upon God, man, and God's plan of salvation. Um, he says, I have come into the world as the light. We read a lot of light passages in our homework so that whoever believes in me uh, uh, may not remain in darkness. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. This is 8.12. Whoever follows me, he will not walk in darkness, but will have light of life. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So there's just a, um, that he is. And so we talked about that in our homework in our small group as well, that our sin, we want to do things in darkness. We think we can hide from God, and he, and he comes as the light to shine um, on our, uh, to shine on our sin, to help us to see that. And, and, and that's the way that God's word does for us. That's the whole purpose of the law, right, was to expose our sin, to be able to see. So we can, how gracious God is God to even give us the law, right, and not just be as a, like a mean parent and not us not know the rules, yet we, we disobey them and we get punished for them. He lets us know what our sin is, all right? And then the third thing he came to do is be glorified by the Father, um, how did the light present itself? By the glory of the Father shining upon the Son. One uh, fourteen says this, uh, And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, throughout John's Gospel, the readers told that uh, Jesus' time had not yet come. That's why they could not seize him. All the times that they tried to kill him and he kind of got away, it was because his time had not come. The great dividing point in this gospel comes in Jesus' last week when he entered Jerusalem and announced that his time had finally come. Uh, he said in chapter 12, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? 
Father, save me from this hour? Thank God, no. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is what we are to believe. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came into the world to expose disobedience, provide sacrifice for our sins, uh, bring light into the world, be glorified by the Father. In so doing, he in turn gave glory to the Father. So, um, according to our anchor verse, now we're on uh, point two where he says why we should believe. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What are these? What is he talking about when he says these? Uh, it's the miraculous signs mentioned in verse 30. We should believe because of the miraculous signs John, John has written about uh, that testify to the authenticity of everything he is saying. That's why he did the signs, so that people can understand that he is the authentic one. He is the coming Messiah. He is God in the flesh. Again, he's just, you know, doing these things um, to be on the scene. You know, in, in the very first part of uh, John, he, he, does his first sign, he does his first miracle, uh, performs his first sign, and it changes the water into wine at Cana. Well, Nicodemus came to believe because of that, because of that sign. He, he came to believe. Um, there was indisputable evidence that Jesus was God from God. The second sign, Jesus healed the royal official's son. Great crowds followed him because they saw miraculous signs he performed. But in 626, I'll turn there because I thought it was a really interesting verse and the way, um, read that, 626, he says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fills of the loaves. You ate your fill of the loaves. He was seen as a celebrity. See, not as a savior at that point. Uh, they just wanted to know what those uh, miracles could do for them, right? And it could fill their bellies, or it could heal their loved ones. It could bring people to life. But it really wasn't about him. It was about them. They were more interested in, in what, they, what he could do for them. Uh, the Pharisees even conceded. So the, the Pharisees didn't say that the miracles didn't happen, um, but they felt threatened. And the last great sign, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. And right after that, he went into Jerusalem. And that's the second half of our book. So Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we're going to keep over and over because that's the anchor of this whole entire book. Um, but isn't that why? Uh, what happens? Have you done this before yourself? If you have a new believer, what is the book that you want them to read first? Is it John? Why do we do that? You can answer. This is kind of like... I'm not going to lecture you now. Answer me. Why would you do that? Why do we give people the book of John? Do you know? We do that. We, we, we want them to see who Jesus is. We want them to understand the darkness of their sin. Because guess what? In 318, it talks about the darkness of their sin. But we don't like that verse very much. Right? Because it's not written on a pillow. Don't we have stuff written on pillows that we like? Right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we don't always go through, the, through all the verses and do it in context. Um, th John 3.16, God says, you know, for Jesus said, for God so loved the world. We love love, don't we? Love is good. Love is pretty. Um, love is positive. But then when you go to 3.18, it talks about the darkness, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, okay, so what believing means? We want to know what believing means. The people directly ask Jesus that question, what they must do to please God. What must we do to do the works of, that God requires, Jesus answered. The work of God is this. Two, believe in the one he has sent, 6, 28, and 29. Well, what does it mean to believe? In 111, many did not receive Jesus. Remember I told you the word receive? I want you to tuck that back. Now you can bring it out, okay? 
um, 1, 12 through 13 reads, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So believing is a kind of receiving, okay? Um, and this receiving is worked out in our hearts only by God, only by the Holy Spirit. Our eyes going to be opened, okay? Um, so through the gospel, we find that believing in Jesus is uh, by receiving him and his words. The Samaritans in chapter 4, the woman was at the well, right? So Jesus spoke with her. She believed his words. She went back to the village, and she told everybody, and guess what they did? They believed her, right? So they believed in Jesus just by word of mouth. But then they asked Jesus to stay two extra days. He did. He started speaking. They're like, oh, we don't believe because of what she said. We believe because of what he said. They, his words, they believed, and they received it, okay? So... Jesus later described unbelief as the failure to have God's word dwell in you. Remember that. Think about that. Jesus described unbelief as the failure to have God's word dwell in you in 538, if you want to write that down. So that is why uh, I am so thankful that we have this Bible study, first of all. And second of all, that in, in also what we do with this Bible study is that we are training ourselves to memorize scripture. Okay? He said that unbelief is, not having, is not having God's word in us, dwell in us. And remember, he is the word, so it goes hand in hand. It's his word. It's him. Positively, he described belief as bound up with valuing God's praise above man's in 544, as well as believing Moses' words and his own words in 546. In chapter 6, Jesus hinted what believing is not. There are some who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe that he would betray him? And we know that that was Judas. Judas spent three years with Jesus in a close relationship. He claimed to believe Jesus. He claimed to be his friend. He claimed to, he agreed with everything that he said. But did he believe? He didn't. Um, that perseverance did not last, did it? He did not persevere to the end. Something else got a hold of him, his greed. Um, and he sought a way, found a way that he could, um, you know, betray Jesus. But he can gather something for himself. All right? Um, and isn't that like so many people in the church as well? We think that, and people outside of the faith, we think that we're good enough to go to heaven, and, and, um, but we understand at the end of Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say? He said uh, that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Only those who do the will of my Father. He will say to some who, who claim to believe that uh, I never knew you. And, and isn't that a, a staggering thought? Isn't that something that would pause us to go, where am I in my faith? Because I claim this, right? And so um, it, it does me. And so when, um, and when he says that the gate is narrow, okay, so there was a time that I was in college a long time ago. Um, and so I had an Italian professor. And for three semesters, I had this Italian professor. And um, somehow we got to talking about religion. And I told him that uh, Jesus is the only way to heaven in broken Italian. I don't remember what I said. Um, but anyway, I said that to him. I said that Jesus is the only way. And he said, how could you say that? He said, that's very narrow-minded. And I said, yeah, it is, because Jesus says it is. The, the, the gate is narrow. The road is narrow um, for those to enter. And so from then on, since I was in uh, college, my email address is god underscore breathed at hotmail.com. The reason it is is because I had to anchor my whole entire college career on 2 Timothy 3.15, that all scripture is God-breathed. 
I had to believe that in all the opposition that I was receiving in college even, and more so for kids today. Uh, so their saving belief is a belief that lasts. Chapter 8, uh, Jesus said, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, 831. True belief does not simply be uh, mean that we're going to believe God, okay, uh, believing that he is telling the truth and not telling lies. There's more to it than that. Uh, the work of God requires this. Remember that. Um, and remember the demons shudder. They believe and they shudder. Uh, the work God requires is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Or as Jesus says elsewhere, he who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Chapter 11, to believe is to rely completely on his person. You may want to write this down. To believe is to rely completely on his person and to trust totally what he teaches about himself. To believe is to rely completely on his person and to trust totally what he teaches about himself. True believers see Jesus for who he is, and they rely on him alone. After Lazarus's resurrection, there was a flood of belief in Jerusalem, so much so that the, the Pharisees said to one another, they said, if we let him go on like this, everybody's going to believe in him. Right? That was a huge fear for them. On account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus, putting their faith in him. Everybody believed. Not everybody believed. Um, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs, they still did not believe him in 1237. Uh, the battle for life was in t uh, for faith is intense. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith because they were afraid. The word that helps us most understand the word belief um, is the word love. You can write that down somewhere. We're under belief. Uh, the word is love. Okay, Jesus said to his disciples, the Father himself loves you because you have loved him. We talked a lot about that. We read a lot about that if you read that in, uh, in Scripture. And I just absolutely love those verses where he talks about all of this, about loving him and obeying him. So this, is, this sparked a lot with me. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God, 1627. He's convincing them who he is. The Lord that helps us understand, the word that helps us understand love is the word obey. Hence why I wanted to trust and obey. Um, because we are to rely or trust in Christ and that we are to love. And in order to understand that, we have to learn to understand the word obey. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. We can say that we love Jesus. A lot of people do. But if we're not obeying his commands, then we need to um, check our hearts. Uh, don't rely on feelings or intellect or the amount of study or the amount of, um, you know, a lot of people, they can study church history. They can study even uh, theology. I know as a, as a pastor's wife and in the circles that we ran and even in seminary, uh, we ran into a whole lot of people who almost seemed to love theology even more than they did Jesus. And how I know that is because they didn't love people very well, right? What did Jesus say? Love my people. Love. Love your neighbor. And so that's how I know. So we can do that, though. We certainly can. Um, but we're not to rely on those feelings or the amount of study we've had. We're to believe the facts about Jesus, that he lived, died, rose again. Yes, we're to believe those facts, but we're to believe in him. Uh, when we receive these things through God's work in our hearts and lives, we will believe in him with a persevering love, and it brings us to the results of believing. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and here are the results, that by believing you may have life in his name. Um, praise him for that. So what are the results? 
we are given life in his name. What is our um, present condition? We're condemned. We're born condemned. Um, it says here, Jesus did not come to condemn the world, the, um, but to save it. The condemnation already happened in Adam. Uh, whoever believes in God's son is not condemned, but whoever does not believe uh, stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son, 318. Before we believe, uh, Jesus says we dwell by nature in death. We are born dead. Life, becomes, uh, life comes through hearing and believing, 524. Apart from such life, we can expect final condemnation, 529. The devil and the prince of the world stands condemned, 1611. And all who follow his evil rebellion will share in his ultimate faith, crushed by Jesus. Jesus is the serpent crusher. I love that term that we've talked about all last year and part of this. Uh, he is the sin crusher. That's what he came to do. He came to crush sin. He came to give us life. But we have to understand that dark, grim death. If we don't understand the darkness, um, then we will never understand what the good news is, like I was saying. And let's go back to 318. Whoever believes in God, you know, we, we remember I talked about 316. Uh, we have memorized that. We have our kids memorize that even in Awana, right? John 316, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. All that's on the positive, right? We like positive. But here, 318, whoever believes in God's son is not condemned. Yay, we, we get that. But, big old but. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So that is why we're condemned, those who don't believe him. But we have to understand the, the darkness of that so that we can understand the good news that we can be saved. Brings us to be. Uh, this is the good news for the bad news given. Jesus came first, uh, the first time to save all of us who believe, uh, save all of those who believe. Uh, when Jesus met with the Samaritans, he taught that salvation is from the Jews, but it's for the world. They recognized how the good news was. They said this, you worship what you do know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Uh, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said we believe. We have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed, here it is, the Savior of the world. Um, so, ironically, we can be saved, get this, because Jesus didn't save himself. Isn't that an amazing thing to think? We're saved because Jesus didn't save himself. He absorbed the wrath where we should have. Absolutely amazing. Like, I can just revel in that all day. Those who reject the word will um, themselves be judged. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That's 336. So, we can have life. Being saved from wrath means being saved to life. Uh, so we no longer have that wrath upon us. Jesus absorbed that. Now we have life. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, 1-4. Jesus gave his life to the royal official's son. He gave Lazarus life. Um, he gave his life back. He is our bread giving life uh, so that we're never to go hungry again. His spirit-filled words give life to us. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14-6. Those who hated Jesus tried taking his life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So what kind of life do we have? The beautiful thing of eternal life. What kind of life does he want us to have, or does he promise for those who believe? Eternal life. John 3.16, we read that already. Um, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life in 3.36. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Eternal life is a gift of Christ. Um, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand, 1028. Eternal life comes through belief. 
in 640 and 647, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. So you see the succession that we're going, or the progression, I should say, in that um, John is in beautifully trying to argue, and that uh, Mark Dever does a great job in pulling that out as well. And um, eternal life is otherworldly. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so John uh, 17, 2 through 3, what does eternal life look like? Since you have been given authority over all flesh to give, uh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. This is in uh, John 17, 3. This is eternal life. That they know you, that the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And uh, the other part of that E is we can have a full life. Jesus' own life was full of grace and truth in 114. Jesus came to give uh, those who believe the same fullness of life. The thief comes to kill and destroy. I have come to have uh, so that they can have life and have it to the full. He gives us a full life because his life was full of grace, truth, and joy. I am coming to you now, but these things, I, uh, while I am still in the world, these things I say while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy. And here it is. So that now we're going to transition over into that word love. Um, so we can have a life of love. Jesus said that loving him is a sign of being a child of God. If God were, were your father, you would love me. This is 842. For I came from God and now am here, have not come on my own, but he sent me. Love typified Jesus' life, as we see in 13. He says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. 13.1. 13.34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So, Jesus said that if you love me, you will obey my commands, right? And my commands are to love each other. Um, we must listen to his teaching. We must obey with action. How many of us say that? How many people do you know say that? I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. I love him. But if we don't obey with action, that's where the key is. He said to love my people. And we'll talk about that with Peter in just a minute. Um, we can't just say that we love, but we must show it even when it threatens our comfort. Okay, how many people do you know in your life that God's put in your life that are not very lovable, right? I, I can think of one right now. Um, but, and, and God has challenged me to love this person, okay? Um, and, and many more. Uh, so, and, and when we do that, Jesus commands us to love others. Guess what happens? The gospel is attractive, and people want to know more about that. My daughter did that. Uh, I've homeschooled her up until she was in the 10th grade. She went into public school in the 10th grade. And she loves people well. She's a very sweet little girl. She has a sweet disposition. She, um, she didn't, like, blast people with the gospel and, like, you know, show condemnation to them uh, in judgment for those who didn't believe. But she just kindly loved them. And she was able to share the gospel with them because they came up to her and said, hey, where can I, where, how do you have this joy and how do you have this, uh, this way about you? Um, and so it was all because of the gospel. And so that's how we need to be as well. Okay, so 1415, uh, it says, If you love me, you'll keep my commands. 1421, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he, it is he who loves me. Um, he who loved me it will be loved by my Father, 
And then 1431 says, uh, where does it say? Okay, 1431, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Um, so in the very last night, uh, he also spoke about love in 159. Uh, he says this, um, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And I think that's why you, you had said abide in my love um, for that other, we should have sang both. We should have sung both. Um, okay, so in conclusion, uh, Jesus is the, is the eternal son who has come to give us, uh, who believe life by, by his death. John writes, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. By believing, you may have life in his name. So not unlike uh, today, many of the Jewish contemporaries exposed their unbelief in, in public. Jesus was born in the wrong place. He was disregard. He was disregarded. He disregarded God's uh, laws. He was blasphemous. Privately, they admitted that he threatened their imperfect, comfortable status quo. They worked out a, with Rome a decent power base, much like the church. Uh, do you see elders and even pastors sometimes? Um, they get pretty comfortable in their positions of power. They consider that. Um, they feel very special, and they feel like they can have a special place. Uh, people can look up to them, and they can rely on them, and they're a leader in the church, um, and that, ha that happened to them <clears throat> as well, and we need to be careful with that. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine your faith, and our faith in the Lord, what does he say? Obey my commands, and what is my command to love one another? So his main objective is to tell us, to teach us that Jesus is the Messiah and the Lord who is worthy of our whole entire lives. We're not to believe just the facts but we are to make sure that in our life, in our faith, we are to obey. We are to believe, first of all, then we are to obey, and then we are to love. And that's how you test your faith. If you're not loving people well, then you ask for the Lord to help you repent, because that's what we are required to do. End on this. Um, Peter. Okay, so uh, John does this. He come, you know, there are 21 chapters in John, and in John 21, he talks about Peter of all, play, of all people. Okay? He says in 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said, feed my sheep. There was action. He challenged him to do something about that love, to prove evidence of his love. Why did he ask him three times? Well, we don't really know, but we can figure out probably and assume that because Peter um, denied him three times and that was his way of connecting with him. Um, so he challenged him to give evidence and then he predicted his, the end of his life in... Um, chapter 8, or verse 18 and 15, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you when you do not want to, where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God, and after saying this to him, he said, follow me. Did Peter, did he follow him? Did he glorify him in his life? He did, didn't he? Um, he was the first apostle to take the Gospels to the Gentiles. He was the very first one. He stumbled. He messed up. Paul had to make a public example of him. Peter's letters are filled with instruction and encouragement. But he did glorify him through his life. 
he finally believed Christ, he finally loved Christ, he did, he understood it, this was the Messiah, this was what we are to do. So I just challenge all of us, I challenge, it's a challenge to me as well, that we are to absolutely examine our faith. Not only do we believe in the Son, in this Messiah, but we are to make sure that we are obeying by loving people, okay? Not obeying and loving people, because that's the obedience, is that we love people. Are you loving people well? Do you love people well? If what you do isn't that, then I would challenge you to um, just to uh, ask the Lord to help you repent or to test your faith. Um, that is what I have been doing for the last few weeks. Am I loving people well? Uh, this is a beautiful Messiah. He's on the scene. Here he is. And here he is. And I can't wait to hear um, all the other teachings on Mark as well. We'll pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. I thank you that in the beginning, Lord, um, there was Jesus. Even before the foundation of this world, he is there. And then you decided that he come uh, because you love us, that he come in the flesh and that he live among us. He is the word. Lord, we are to believe him, but to believe in him as well. And we are to obey his commands, and that is to trust you, Lord, rely on you alone uh, for our salvation, nothing more. But that is played out in how we love others. So, Lord, help us to love others well. Uh, that is just a fruit of, what, of our faith and who we are in you, and that is only, only can come from you anyway and from your Holy Spirit. And we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to learn uh, in freedom that we are not overtly or persecuted, that we can come to this church on a Wednesday morning and we can study your word without being put in jail or have guns uh, pointed to us. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the cooler weather that's coming uh, and be with um, Katie and her family as they travel back. Lord, we just pray that you give them safe travel, help them to experience the rest and the beauty uh, that you have created for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.